Today's first ever episode of What's the Big Idea is brought to you by, well, me and this USB microphone I picked up on Amazon. Hey, give us a break. It's our first episode. Welcome to this first episode of What's the Big Idea? I'm Dan Carney, your host of this podcast about big ideas in education. You won't hear a lot about classroom management or staff meetings or the best way to decorate your classroom. I want to focus on where education is, where it's going, and what ideas are leading the way. A bit about me, I've in my 10th year of teaching, I've taught everything from grade 6 up to grade 12, currently find myself in a sweet spot, the best of both worlds, middle school. Here we can draw on the lessons of primary, experiment with learning, push the boundaries a bit, all before the students are moved on to what so often is the torrential downpour of content in high school. My goal with this podcast is to spur debate, conversation, thinking for educators, and I'd love to have your feedback, complaints, comments, questions, and the best place to do that is Twitter, at Big Idea Ed. Personally, I love Twitter. I think for educators, it is one of the greatest tools out there, and I can't quite understand people who get on Twitter for its negativity. It can be. People say, oh, it's turned into just trolls and bots, and yeah, if you follow the wrong people, but I think for teachers, it is an amazing resource library and conversation and idea uh, platform. So definitely, at Big Idea Ed, leave any comments for the show. And any resources that I mention in the show, articles, books, etc., I will post those. I will link those in Twitter. So you can go there as well to see anything that I've referenced. Okay, let's get on with our first topic. start by talking about a book. It's by Peter Reynolds, and you may have read some of his picture books, including Ish and The Dot, and they're really wonderful. This one is called So Few of Me, and it's about a boy named Leo who is so busy. He makes lists, but that doesn't help. And then, to his surprise, different versions of him begin to show up. For example, a second Leo appears. He was helpful, but found even more to do. A third Leo joined the two. How about four? Four makes a fantastic team. But maybe a fifth would be even better. And on and on it goes until this boy Leo has ten versions of himself and still finds he can't get everything done. And the moral of the story appears on the penultimate page when it says, Leo wondered, what if I did less but did my best? And clearly it's a call to give kids a chance to have time to think, time to dream, and not overload them. But I like to think about this book from a different perspective. I like to think of it from the standpoint of streamlining students' education. And I see this in class, and I'm sure you do too. Students come in, and their brains are fragmented because they have essentially been made to create versions of themselves. The history version, the Spanish version, the English version, 
the science version because they're going from class to class studying subjects that don't have any clear connection. So today's first topic is interdisciplinary learning. How can we more streamline and synthesize and integrate the student learning experience so they're taking on big themes, big ideas, but in a multifaceted way that makes the learning deeper and frankly, makes the kids less stressed out and more focused on their learning. Before we go any further, let's get some terminology out of the way. When we talk about interdisciplinary learning, or IDL, what do we mean? Well, let me use an example. Years ago, when I first started teaching middle school social studies, there was a unit of study about the Middle Ages. This was the classic grade seven from the fall of Rome to the age of reason. And smack dab in the middle is the Middle Ages in Europe. At the same time, the English teacher was reading Crispin by Abby with her students. It's a wonderful young adult historical novel about life in the Middle Ages, full of relevant historical content, great storytelling, and characters the kids really care about. Now at the time I was thinking, this is interdisciplinary since we are both learning about life in the Middle Ages. But what I didn't realize was what we really were doing what is what's better called multidisciplinary. Because while we were covering similar content from our own perspectives and making references to each other's classes and checking in day to day, we were giving different assessments. Which brings me to the heart of our definition of interdisciplinary learning. For a unit of study to truly be IDL, the assessment needs to be common. That is, it needs to be a single integrated task for all disciplines involved in the learning. I'm going to talk a bit at the end about ways to make learning interdisciplinary, but for now, suffice to say that IDL comprises different disciplines bringing their own perspective to a concept, a topic, or an issue with a synthesized or integrated common assessment. Let me spend a few minutes talking about why interdisciplinary learning is so important and worth your consideration. At this point, I'll direct you to an excellent resource, courtesy of Carleton College. It's a website called Starting Point, and it's a resource created specifically for the teaching and learning of economics, but its discussion of IDL applies to all subjects, with lots of research-based claims included. I'll link this resource on Twitter so you can check it out for yourself, but I'd like to highlight a couple of the more fascinating points made about IDL. The first, and probably my favorite, is that the world itself is interdisciplinary. Quote, the world, more than ever, is multifaceted and not compartmentalized and fragmented into neat subject matter packages. Real world problems are complex, so no single discipline can adequately describe and resolve the issues. Close quote. Those are words written by the National Council for Teachers of English in 1995. And I hope you agree with me when I say the world has become only more complex and interdisciplinary since then. And perhaps the best example of this is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. 
As a teacher, you have probably come in contact with these goals, and you might already be integrating them into your lessons. The sustainable development goals by themselves create a framework for interdisciplinary learning because goals like no poverty, affordable and clean energy, and responsible consumption and production, just to name three of the 17 goals, cannot be solved by thinking about them in only one dimension or one discipline. Side note, the Sustainable Development Goals will almost certainly be their own episode in this podcast series, as they are easily one of the greatest teaching resources to come along in the past five or ten years. Okay, the Carleton College resource makes another point, and it's one that I welcome in my own classroom. In fact, it's one of the mantras of my classroom. Embrace ambiguity. One of the strengths of IDL is that by bringing in more disciplines and therefore more perspectives and ways of knowing, we help students understand that ambiguity is a part of complex problem solving. Just think about yourself for a second. How many times in life have you felt very strongly about something, only to have those feelings or opinion challenged by a statistic or a scientific study? Or conversely, how many times in your life have you known something because of research or a class you took or a nonfiction book you read, only to have that knowledge challenged by someone's subjective experience or perspective, or perhaps some art you viewed or a novel you read? When we can bring this approach into our classroom and learning spaces, we significantly widen the student experience. Another important point is that school begins as an interdisciplinary environment. Elementary school teachers, if you're listening, you're probably nodding right now, they naturally teach this way. Then something usually happens when they get to middle school. From an Ed Week column in 2012 called Tips for Planning Interdisciplinary Units in Middle School, the author Sarah Henchy writes, Fresh from elementary school, where they'd spent most of the day with one teacher, they were not used to a patchwork curriculum in which class changes signified the boundaries between subjects. So life is interdisciplinary, and the first five or six years of school is interdisciplinary, but in the years between, we tend to erect these boundaries, as she puts it, and they're artificial ones at that. So now that we've talked about why you should consider interdisciplinary learning, I want to offer a few tips on how to make that happen. The proverbial rubber meeting the road. My first tip is a pretty self-evident one. Find a willing partner in another discipline. IDL is set up for failure if two teachers have been grudgingly put together, or if you have to convince someone, drag that person into the planning of the unit. So float the idea with colleagues and see whose interest is clearly piqued. My next tip is probably my most important. Once you have identified a partner or partners with whom to build an IDU, start with a concept or a theme. I cannot stress this enough. Interdisciplinary learning will fail most of the time when teachers try to base it around content. The content will come, I promise, but by starting from a fundamental position of concept or theme, the planning and development of the unit and the learning experiences within will be much stronger. For example, a fundamental and pretty basic statement. 
Humans develop political systems to meet their beliefs and needs. This statement opens the pathway for some pretty powerful interdisciplinary learning, where in social studies, students could examine a range of political systems across time and space, or just focus on one or two. While in English, they could be reading dystopic literature. I can imagine some really strong planning around concepts like choice, power, and individuality. Or how about this one? Human response to climate change depends largely on geography. Imagine how science, social studies, art, math, literature could be incorporated into learning around that statement. My next tip is time. And I know, I know, this makes me only the 10th person you've heard today say teachers need more time. And while teachers do need more time, unit planning always requires quality time. And that's even more true for IDUs. If you cannot find quality time to carve out with your colleagues to plan the unit and then meet throughout the unit, there's a really good chance that what starts out as interdisciplinary learning will end up simply as parallel learning experiences. So be sure you can find the specific times before you start on the process. My last piece of advice is backwards planning. I will probably spend another episode talking about this, as I believe backwards planning is one of the single most impactful things teachers can do to make strong, meaningful units. When you meet with your colleagues to start planning the IDU, begin with that concept or theme. Then identify what students are going to do in the summative task. What do you want them to be able to demonstrate? What disciplinary content knowledge are they going to need to show? How are students going to synthesize the different subjects? Remember, the summative task is common, all subjects coming together on that one task. And if the summative task is established first around your concept or theme, you've done the hard work. The rest, the formatives, the activities, the skills practice, that will all fall into place. That concludes our first episode of What's the Big Idea? Please leave us comments, questions, and feedback on Twitter at Big Idea Ed, and leave us some comments and reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. Today's music is from Pierce Murphy, a musician I heard on an amazing resource that teachers really need to know about. It's called the Free Music Archive. Thousands of songs from all different genres, and they are free for use. Just be sure to look at the licensing, as some songs are available for complete remixing for student music, for your own music, and some can be used as is with attribution. Check us out next time on What's the Big Idea? And now Pierce Murphy will take us out of here. Thanks, everyone. There's no hope for compromise.